Well, here we are. If you're with us visiting, we've been studying through the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible, please, would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12? A couple of weeks ago, when, when I was here, we got together and we were talking about the sovereignty, the sovereign will of God. And there's much to be learned, and, and I've, I find that, that this place in, in, in chapter 12 really explains it beautifully. We see the, the will of God, we see it at work, and, and we see how He deals with lives. And one of the things we can learn from this place in Scripture is that we need to trust in God. It's not our lives asking Him to follow us and bless us. It's, it's His life that He has given to us and we are to follow after Him and bless Him. That's the order. And sometimes we get that out of whack because we really don't comprehend fully the will of God. And we're not willing to rest and to, and to take comfort in, in His sovereignty over us. We want Control. I mean, most of us are that type of people. We want control of our own existence, our own lives. And, and we, we have a tendency to misunderstand that God's in control. And one of the most amazing things in this place in Scripture, we're going to see a lot. We'll see the sovereign will of God in this, this escape out of prison by Peter and this angel that took him out. We'll see how we are under the power of God, how we can rest through very difficult circumstances. We're also going to see that, that sometimes when we look in the Bible and we open it up and we, we study um, those people in the first century church, we, we have a, a tendency to, to magnify them, to really think they were really special, nothing like us. We, we're not like that. When in fact, they had their doubts, they had their fears just like we do. As a matter of fact, when Peter finally comes, as we're going to read today, and he knocks on Mary's door, the servant girl comes, and <clears throat> she gets so excited that it's him, she runs back and says, Peter's here, and they say, you're out of your mind. I mean, what have they been praying for? They've been praying for him fervently to be released. But they say to her, you're out of your mind. It must be an angel. They were lacking that that faith, that very faith that they demonstrated by praying fervently for him, when the answer came, they found it hard to, to believe at first. I don't think that's unlike all of us here in this room. And so we're going to learn much. But probably the best lesson that you and I will learn is, is written and tucked away in, a, in, in this chapter when it says that uh, Herod had four squads watching over Peter. As I mentioned to you two weeks ago, Herod was a bloodthirsty man. And it says in verse 3, I believe, that the Jews were, were pleased that he, that he killed uh, James. And so he thought, okay, I'll, I'll please them even more. I'll kill Peter. And so he captures Peter and he has these squads of men, 16 men in all, four squads of four men each, watching over him. And in the morning he was going to have him executed. And where do we find Peter? Sleeping. How many of us, if we knew in the morning our lives might be gone, would we be resting? He's so sound asleep that the angel had to roust him up. Get up. And that's faith and trust in the Lord. That's resting in Christ. Probably the best lesson in this place in Scripture. Look with me, please, 
at Acts chapter 12. What a place. What a marvelous place in the Word of God to learn so much. You know, to study the Bible as we do, line upon line. Some people say, you know, you should do topical studies. When in fact we're doing topical studies. We're, we're doing the topics that come up, and they, and they come. We've, we've seen the sovereignty of God, and we're teaching on that, and we've, we're seeing how we can rest in God, and we teach on that. It's so, much, it's so amazing to study the Word of God in this fashion and, and to allow God to open up these things to us at the perfect time. I cannot tell you, well, it's a couple, a couple of handfuls of people that have come to me and said, I needed that message. Thank you. And I said, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. Because of whatever it is they were going through, they, they needed to hear that. And that's what studying the Bible in this fashion does. It ministers to our lives. Now, before we get into reading these verses, I have an announcement that I have the privilege of making. Next Sunday, the 11th, in the evening, it's 7 o'clock, I believe, but you'll look in the bulletins and you'll see. I have the privilege. There's privileges I have at this church that, that, that as, as a member, as a part of the church, as you are, and, and the position that, that, that I happen to be in, I have the privilege of marrying some of you, which is the, just the best. I love that part of this ministry. I have a, the privilege of dedicating your children and you unto the Lord. I have the privilege of baptizing some of you and, and, and the privilege of seeing some come to Christ and, and some of us grow in our faith. It's, it's a great privilege. Next Sunday, Sunday the 11th, in the evening, I'm going to have the privilege and the honor of being part of an ordination service for two godly men in our church. Bill Morris and Mike Miller. We'll have... A, an ordination service for them in the evening. We have identified these men as being called by God to help pastor our church. It is an important event in the family, ours. ours. Um, just like a, a marriage ceremony, you would want people there to rejoice with you and to witness that your marriage, or a baby dedication, or a baptism. To be ordained is a moment that, that is meant to be shared by the family, all of us. It's so to mark a, a special time in the lives of Mike and Bill that we might remember as significant to them, and they might remember it as significant to us as well. And so there's information in the bulletin uh, about the ordination ceremony um, we would love for you to RSVP, in other words, to respond, to, if you can come and, and be a part of it. Let me say this. I would really encourage you to come. Let's say right now, you can't, you, there's something going on for you, you think, next Sunday evening, and you don't think you can be here. If Sunday, during the day, something happens, and, it, and that evening pops free, and you'd like to come, come, it's okay. The more, the merrier. We would love to have you be a, a part. So, look in your uh, bulletin. Um, RSVP if you can, and I hope to see you at this wonderful uh, celebration for both Mike and Bill. Read with me now in Acts. What a place. Let's take a look back at verse 4, but it's just to remind you how many people this bloodthirsty person named Herod had watching over Peter. 
It says in verse 4, when he had seized him, talking about when Herod seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's 16 men. Attending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. That means he wanted to bring him before the people and execute him just as he did James. Now, verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Verse 7 says, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. In verse 8 it says, The angels said to him, Gird yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloth around you and follow me. And he went out and he continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought that he was seeing a vision. Verse 10 says, And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate which leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel departed from Peter. Verse 11, When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who also is called Mark, where many gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate. But she ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, Peter described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And then he departed and went to another place. Interestingly, folks, This is the last we hear of Peter, except for a short portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 15 at the Jewish Council. From this point forward, from chapter 13 on, most of Acts will be about Paul and his ministry and his missionary journeys to different places. And so I think it's fitting that we that we take a good look at Peter today, this gallant warrior who served the Lord so faithfully. The reason I think, one of the reasons I think it's good for you and me to look at him is, is he's not so much, he's a lot like us. How many of us have fallen short in our faith from time to time? What did Peter do when the Lord was being led to be on trial in that, in that courtyard? Remember, he denied the people how many times? Three times. The servant girl, this, this, this young girl came to him and said, you're one of his, you, you've, you've, you belong with him. And he says, not me, not me. 
She said again, yeah, you're one of them. He says, no, I, I, not me. I, I don't know him. And then he swore and took an oath. I do not know this guy. Leave me alone. And then we saw later on in the book of John, in the 21st chapter, we looked at it a little bit two weeks ago, when the Lord came back and he, he said to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Remember? And Peter mustered up enough faith to said, Lord, you know I like you a lot. When I, when I read that place in Scripture, I, I can't help but think of myself. I, I can't help but think how sometimes I fall so short in, in my love for the Lord. I, I, all I can muster is, uh, I like you, you know I like you. When in fact, He wants me to love Him. And so we see the humanity of, of Peter. And then what we see is that Peter gets filled with the Spirit of God and he becomes like this mighty warrior that just stands up and, and unashamedly and with all the courage in the world tells people that they must repent and they must come to Christ knowing that he is putting his life on the line for what he says for the cause of Christ. And what we're going to see today in this place in Scripture is the ability for Peter to understand and know his God so well that he can rest, rest in him in the midst of a time where he might be put to death in the morning and still he sleeps at night. I mean, here he is between these guards, you know, probably just sawing it off. How many of us? I mean, look, I don't know about you, I get a little problem in my life and I toss and turn all night long. I mean, I'm not going to be beheaded in the morning that I know of. Peter's out like a log, man, just sleeping, trusting and resting in Christ. It's a great, great lesson in this place in Scripture. Let's, let's take a, let's, let's pray and, 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 um, and go over some of this. Dear Father, it is our greatest privilege as children's of your, children of yours to honor you with our uh, hearts right now and our minds and our thoughts to take a moment in time this wonderful Sunday that you've given us to worship you. Thank you for the music. Oh, dear Father, thank you for the music that you've brought to this church. What an experience of worshiping our Lord through music, preparing our hearts to hear your words. And Father, thank you for the Bible that we can read and, and can sense your presence in our midst and, and sense that you are speaking to us as you and only you can. Teach us, dear Father. Open up our, our eyes, open up our hearts and our minds that we might, above all things, that we might experience and behold wonderful things from your word. Teach us, dear Father. I pray with all of my heart that you would move me aside, that you would not, Father, allow me by any stretch of anybody's imagination to get in the way of what you want to say to each of us. I pray that you would teach us, dear Father. As we see and read your words, may we take them into our hearts and know and realize, Father, that you make a promise that your word will not come back void. It will accomplish what you have set it out to do. And so may it accomplish in our lives what you so desire. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When I took a look at this place in Scripture, in, in Acts chapter 12, starting with verse 5, 
I wrote down the miracle of freedom. And I thought about that a little bit. And I searched. I knew there was a place in somewhere in Romans, I thought. And it, it turned out it was in Romans chapter 6. Talking about that we have been freed. Our Lord has freed us. If you have a moment, <laughs> turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. If you have a Bible, um, please turn there. Paul teaches when we come to Christ, when we believe in Christ, he believes this magnificent thing happens to us, this freedom comes over us, this miracle of freedom. In Romans 6, 6 and 7, it says, Know this, verse 6, Know this, that our old self was crucified with him, namely with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That's a miracle, folks. For he, verse 7, for he who has died, in other words, the person, you or me, who have died to ourself and now live for Christ, for those of us who have died, we become freed from sin. That's as much a miracle of what is just taking place here in Acts chapter 12. Turn back to Acts now, chapter 12. In like manner, the Lord God sets Peter free. Miraculously sets him free. He sets him free from the bonds of prison, and he sets him free to serve him for the rest of his days. Now, in the, the last couple of weeks, or two weeks ago at least, We've been talking about God's sovereign will. And that God is in control. We are not in control of our lives. We might think we are, and we might act like we are, but the truth of the matter is, God is. And the sooner we learn that lesson, the better. Here's, my, here's how I thought about this. I don't know how you read when you read this place in Scripture. I don't know what your mind does. Here's where mine went. Supposing, suppose... I was James' dad. Just suppose. And I'm there with the group that is fervently praying. And I'm, of course, praying for Peter. But you can bet your bottom dollar. I'm hitting my knees for James, my son. And comes the news. Your son died. He was beheaded. But praise the Lord, Peter's free. What would I think? <clears throat> Thanks, God. Thanks a lot. What, my son's not good as uh, Peter? My son's not useful for you? Instead of understanding and knowing that God's sovereignty is at work in everyone's life, and the sooner that you and I comprehend that, and I believe today we'll get a start on it, the sooner we comprehend that, the sooner we'll be at peace with what comes our way, so much so that we can, like Peter, rest in the midst of a terrible situation. How many of us can have that kind of rest and peace in our hearts? And so what we're trying to learn here from verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 that we looked at last time we gathered together two weeks ago to this point here is the sovereignty of God is at work. And we have seen, looking at the book of Acts, some cases that some people live 
for just a short while and all of a sudden they're gone and others have a long and enriched ministry, live for a long time. Where one's ministry might be just gigantic, it does great things and and another might have just what appears to be just a little touch. But what we've been learning is that God doesn't see it as just a little and gigantic. God sees it all the same. Because it is His sovereign will that is at work within all of our lives to do with us as He so fits, sees fit. And so, we look at chapter 12 and we see that the church is fervently praying for Peter. And as I mentioned to you, I'll let you know, they were praying just as fervently for James. God's sovereign will. By the way, This side of heaven, you and I will never be able to answer why James and why not Peter. That's not our business. It's not for you and I to understand some of those things. I don't know why. That's God's call, not ours. But we'll never be able to answer the question, why did James die? What was wrong with him? Why did Stephen get stoned to death and Philip live a long life? What's the deal? God's sovereign will. And the sooner you and I can learn that and rest in that, really the better off we will be. Now, let's take a look at the word fervently, because it's important. I'll I'll show you right in a moment why it's so important. In the Greek, the word fervently is ektenes, I think it is, E-K-T-E-N-E-S. It's a medical term. It, it, It means to stretch a muscle to its limits. In other words, to stretch something to its limits, to the furthest point. I think we see it best in Luke chapter 22. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 44 with me. It's it's worth the time, just one verse to look at it. It describes, Luke 22, 44, describes our Lord's time in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was praying before He was going to go to the cross. And we find the word fervently used there. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says, Being in agony, our Lord and Savior, being in agony, He was praying, how? Very fervently. In other words, stretched to its limits. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The reason I wanted you to look there at very fervently he was praying, the word fervently is used in the New Testament three different times for three different purposes, all of them very important within the life of each of us as believers. It is used for prayer, as we see here in Luke and also in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. But it is also used for loving one another. Look with me, please, at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 Peter is, if you go to the right, uh, if you go to the last book in the New Testament, that's the book of Revelation. Turn to the left. You'll go past Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd Peter, and then 1st Peter. In 1st Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter writes these words when he was an older man, talking about love. 
He says, above all, above all, above all, keep fervent. There's that word. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Because, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Within our family, within our lives, we are to be fervent in our love for one another. Loving one another is probably one of the greatest joys we can have as believers. To not let a moment go by where you tell someone close to you that you love them. Guys, I'll tell you, go home this afternoon. Let your loved one, your kids, your wife, your family, someone, tell them you love them. They'll probably think, oh yeah, of course, you want to love me now. You want to watch the game. You're trying to, you know, I know what's going on. I know. (laughs) It's the kindest thing to have a fervent love for one another. The Bible says if we love one another, people are going to know we're followers of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. So we see something very interesting Fervently is used with prayer for one another and loving one another. Look back at Acts chapter 26. It's the third time that we see the word fervently being used. It is translated earnestly, but it's the same Greek word as fervently. In Acts chapter 26, verse 7, Paul writes these words. The promise, well actually Luke does. But it's Paul's, it's, never mind. The promise, verse 7, the promise to which our tribes hope to attain as they earnestly, that word earnestly is the same Greek word as fervently, they earnestly or fervently serve God. I want you to note the consistency in which they serve Him. It says they fervently or earnestly serve God night and day. Now, I'm not saying to you you should stop everything you do and just serve the Lord day and night. But I am saying to you that I believe the Bible is trying to teach you and me that we should have an attitude of of serving the Lord 24-7. Whenever the occasion comes, we ought to be willing to serve our Lord fervently, stretching it to its limits, serving our Lord. Because we learn in the book of Ephesians, when we serve the Lord... We encourage or build up, equip one another. So in essence, when we fervently love, when we fervently pray, and we fervently serve, we are doing that for one another. We are helping the body of Christ grow. And it ought to be an attitude that you and I have day and night. Back to Acts chapter 12. Now let's get into the meat of this because here's something really exciting. Hope that made sense to you about the word fervent. Very important. Herod, who I said to you already, was a bloodthirsty scoundrel. He must have thought that he had the situation well in hand. Here's here's what he knew. Chapter 12, look at verse 3. When he saw he had James killed with a sword, in other words, he beheaded him. Verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He then proceeded to arrest Peter. See, he wanted to double please everybody. And bloodthirsty, he was bloodthirsty. And so he captures Peter, and he thinks he has the situation well in hand. Because he has four squads watching over him. Sixteen men. Now in verse 6, we are told that Peter is between two soldiers, bound with two chains, 
with guards watching in front of the prison door. Sixteen people taking care, watching over Peter. But you know, as I've already said to you, what amazes me about this is that verses 6, 7, and 8 let us know that Peter was so at rest, so comforted by God, so... I don't know the word, but he was so much trusting in his Lord that he was able to sleep on the eve of his being beheaded. Despite the circumstances, he was sleeping between two guards. Not the hard cell floor, not the imminent threat of his death. Nothing disturbed his rest. In fact, if you look again at verse 7, he was so soundly asleep that an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, the light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side, and he roused him, saying, get up, get up quickly. Had to wake him up. You know, we all could take a lesson from Peter. How to trust or how to rest in our Lord. It would suit every single one of us. Maybe just me. I don't know if I'm just preaching to myself. It would suit me well to remember and believe Peter's words that he wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. He said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He might exalt you at the proper time. Then it says in the next verse, verse 7, Cast all your anxieties. Cast all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you. I wonder how many of us really believe that. Really believe that our Lord, our God cares for little old us. In this big old world, he certainly could have lost us somewhere in the cracks, you know? Maybe we're not important enough to him. When in fact, he says, cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. We need to learn that. Like Peter, we need to learn to trust in God's promises. Maybe it will help you and me sleep better. Well, walking away from the prison, as he does with the angel, having all the doors open, passing guard after guard after guard, Peter thinks, look at verses 9 and 10. He went out, continued to follow. He didn't know what was real, what was being done by the angel was real or not. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was back in Joppa. Remember in Joppa, when he went up on the roof to pray? And while he was praying, it says he fell into a trance. He fell into, had this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven with all of these, all of these animals to eat. And a voice says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, not me. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord says, what I have made holy, or in other words, what I have cleansed, do not consider unholy or unclean. And so Peter's thinking he's back in that situation in Joppa where he's having a, a vision. But suddenly, as we look at, at verses 10 and 11, when they had passed the first and the second guard, when they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself, it's not like when we walk into a department store or some market, you know, where the doors kind of swing open. I mean, that didn't happen in those days, to my knowledge. Now his chains have fallen off of him. Everybody he passes can't see him or doesn't react to him at least. And now the doors are, are being swung open for him as he leaves. 
And so when he went out, they went alongside of one street. It says immediately the angel departed from him. It doesn't say what the angel told him to do. It doesn't say any kind of instruction. Just that the angel was there and now the angel was gone. And Peter says in verse 11, when he came to himself, it says, when Peter came to his senses, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, all what the Jewish people were expecting. And what the Jewish people were expecting was to watch him get killed in the morning. That was the talk of the town. And so what Peter realizes is what you and I need to realize, that there's no circumstance, there is no obstacle, there is no difficulty that you and I are going through that can hold us back if, if God so wills to take us out of it. It's His sovereign will over our lives. Just as we've been learning over and over and over again within these pages, we saw it lived out in the life of of Stephen and Philip. We saw it lived out in the life of, of, of James and, and, and Peter and John. James died, but Peter and John, their life went on. We saw it lived out in, in the life of Saul when he was on the street called Straight and he was waiting there. The Lord said, wait there, I will send you instructions. And then the Lord goes to this guy named Ananias, remember? And Ananias says, yeah, yeah I'll go. And, and he says, go lay your hands and pray for Saul. And the only thing we hear about Ananias is just this event. Nothing more. And then once Saul gets going, we see his ministry is enormous. And we, we maybe wonder to ourselves or we say out loud, what's the deal? Why Ananias did so little and, and Paul did so much? And when in fact they both did the same as far as God is concerned. Because you see, it wasn't Paul that did it. It was the Lord that did it through him. It wasn't Ananias that did it. It was the Lord that did it through him. It wasn't you. It wasn't me that does anything. It's the Lord that does it through us. And whether it be something that looks like it's gigantic or something that looks like it's small, it doesn't matter. It's are we willing to follow the Lord? Are we walking according to His sovereign will? It's a lesson that we must learn. And we see it in their lives. Turn with me, please. I think this will answer maybe some of your questions. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Mighty words by Paul. How Paul learned to handle situations that came his way through the sovereign will of God. When God moved in Paul's life, he saw it as what God was doing rather than anything else. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13. Verse 11, look. Paul says, not that I speak from want. For I have, here's the key. Paul says, I have learned, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. In other words, Paul is saying, all that comes my way, by and through the sovereign hand of God, I have learned to be content in this situation. He says in verse 12, look, I know how to get along with humble means. He says, I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. Here's the key again. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. 
What did Paul learn? He learned in verse 13 that he can do. Do is better translated handle. He can do or handle all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens him. That was a learning process in Paul's life. And just as Paul had to learn it, so do you and I. We have to learn these things of God. And you and I cannot learn these things of God without studying this, the Word of God. It is this that will teach you and me the things of God. It is this will afford us the ability to be the Christians that God desires us to be. It is this that we need to learn. This is what will teach us how to handle adversity and how to handle success. And it is my full belief that success is more devious than, 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 than uh, um, adversity, failure. It is. I've been in ministry long enough to see people that all of a sudden become successful. All of a sudden, this church becomes a little secondary to them. They're kind of more busy on the weekends. Things are going on. Have a, bought a new place, a kind of a, a, a second house. And we go up and we, we, we have fun as a family and they, they get away from church. And sometimes prosperity can take us away from the Lord as, as far more quickly than, than despair. It's very seldom you see someone that's down on their luck that they don't look up and say, God, please help me. But often you see someone that's doing really well say, oh, wow, thank you, Lord. It is a, it is a good thing to do. It's a wonderful thing to learn. And Paul says, I learned this. I learned that in my successes as well as in my failures, that I can handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. For you and I to really understand the sovereign will of God, for us to deal with difficulties that come our way, as well as successes, we need to understand the Word of God so that we can handle these things when they come our way. Turn back, please, to Acts chapter 12. Let's close it up. Peter says in verse 11, when he came to himself, when, in other words, when he came to his senses, he says, now... I know something for sure. Uh, This I know, that the Lord God has sent forth His angels to rescue me. The word rescue there in the Greek is very important. It means to deliver or to save. Folks, let me tell you something. We started off by saying this is a miracle of freedom. When you and I finally come to our senses and really understand who we are in Christ, we can come to our senses and say, now I know for sure the Lord God Himself has delivered me has saved me, has rescued me. I am no longer bound to sin. I have been set free. And when we understand that when He allows things to happen in our lives, we won't start shaking our fist at Him, but more we'll be people that say, Lord, what can I learn from this? And rest, rest like Peter in the circumstances that come our way. It's, it's the most, it is what I believe God wants for every single one of us in our lives. So, after Peter comes to the realization that he has now been rescued, delivered, or saved by God, he goes to the gathering of the brethren. Uh, it's, it must be that Mary's house was a place where they gathered to either for church or for prayer. It doesn't, doesn't matter. But evidently, Mary's home was a common place for the people to gather. And that's the first place that Peter goes towards. And then I wrote down in my notes here, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. You know that old song? He knocks on the door. Rhonda comes, the the, the servant girl says, it's Peter. She doesn't open the door. She goes back and tells them, it's Peter, it's Peter. Peter's here. And they say, you're out of your mind. 
What have they been praying for? Fervently been praying for him to be released. She says he's released. They say, you're crazy. I'll tell you why I believe they said that. I thought, I think they thought the same thing was going to happen to him that happened to James. Maybe they were just praying, Lord, let it happen swiftly. Let him be comforted. Whatever they were praying. But what I do note about it is what you and I ought to note. And that is their faith. Nonetheless, they kept praying fervently. Listen to this, please. Never, 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 never allow your lack of faith to keep you from asking God to handle the impossible. Don't stop asking. Never, never stop from praying fervently for yourself or your loved ones. But understand the sovereignty of God in the midst of your prayers. Some might turn out like James. Others might turn out like Peter. And you'll never be able to answer why. You'll never be able to get the answer why. You'll just have to trust. You'll just have to rest like Peter in the outcome is in the hands of the Lord. For he knows best. Well, in their excitement, in verse 17, close it right here. They saw Peter and they must have made a commotion. He asks them, be quiet, be quiet. And then he tells them what happened. He said, you you won't believe this. These guys are sleeping all over the place. My chains are falling off of me like crazy. I'm walking out of there with an angel. The doors are being opened. Here I am, free as could be. He says, report these things to James and to the others. James means his brother, James. And then it says in verse 17, the end, he departed. I believe he left because he knew that Herod would soon come looking for him with a vengeance. I'll tell you why. I'll show you why a vengeance in a moment. Especially, they would, he would come looking within the church family. And so he, de- he, he kind of pushed himself away from the rest of them so as to protect them if possible. And as I say to you, this is the last we'll see of Peter outside of Acts chapter 15 for a brief moment. Here's why he had the sense enough to leave. Look, look at verses 18 and 19. We'll do this next week, but I, I want to talk about just for a moment. It said, when the day came, that's after he had now escaped, there was no small disturbance. That's a way of saying it. All heck broke loose. All, uh, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have happened or have become of Peter. You know why they were looking for Peter so much? I told you two weeks ago, when a sentence is placed upon a prisoner and you're guarding that prisoner, if you lose that prisoner, whatever was going to happen to him, you will have to fulfill. If he was going to serve time for a month, you serve time for a month. If he was going to be executed, you were going to be executed. And so it says, verse 19, When Herod had searched for him, in Peter, and had not found him, he examined the guards, and he ordered that they be led away to execution. 16, he, he killed these 16 guys, if not more, because Peter escaped. He was a bloodthirsty person, just an evil guy. And we're going to see what happens to him next week. We're going to see what happens to people when they keep hearing about Christ, have every opportunity to know about Christ, and keep pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away. We'll see. And it's not a very happy ending for this guy. Now let's pray. I, don't want to, I shouldn't have left us with that kind of a downer. but Dear Father, please, in your kindness, remind us of 
the fervent prayers that we should make for one another, the fervent love that we should have for one another, the fervent privilege that we have to serve you, and in so doing, serve one another. Teach us, Father God, about your sovereignty so that we might be comforted and can rest when difficulties or or wonderful things come our way so that we can rest in who you are, much as we see Peter resting on the eve of his going to his execution, Father, resting in you. And then, Father, teach us a lesson that we will learn from those in the first century church that we're not much unlike these dear people. We have our shortcomings just as they did. In the midst of their fervent prayers, dear Father, when it was answered, they found it hard to believe. May we come to a place, Father, where we can trust in you for everything. Lord, I don't understand and and never will, I guess, this side of heaven, why James and why Peter. But then again, you tell me that that's not for us to know. Those are your concerns. Our concern is what you said to Peter when he asked the Lord, how would I die? Or no, he said, what about John? And the Lord said to Peter, what is it to you if I allow him to live until I come? He simply said to Peter what he says to all of us, you follow me. That's our call, following our Lord. May we do that, Father, with joy. When the difficulties come our way, Father, and they'll come to each of us, would you be comforted to us? Would you allow us to find our strength in you and and comfort us through it? And when prosperity comes, Father, and things go well, may we not lose sight that it was you who gave it to us. And may we honor you and serve you even more. In every case, Father, May we be a group of people that learn and follow you and rest in you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you so much. I started praying a little long. My kids, you got to be like my kids. you got to make noise so I uh, stop. You know? I love you all very, very much. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thanks for being here.